This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code DEVCHAT at Sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code DEVCHAT at Sentry.io. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have Eric Berry. Hey, everybody. Nate Hopkins. Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. I've plugged it before. Go check out the DevRev, thedevrev.com. Uh, we have a couple of special guests. This week, we have Andrew Mason. Hey, everybody. And Paul Smith. Hello. It's funny. I, I had a co-host named Andrew Madsen, and uh, <laughs> I almost said his name instead. Anyway, uh, do, you, do you gentlemen want to introduce yourselves? Yeah, I'm a uh, junior Rails developer from Wilmington, North Carolina, and I spent probably way too much time messing with every conceivable language I can find. So I had actually found Lucky prior to uh, hearing about this podcast. Right on. Hey, I'm Paul. Uh, right now, I'm a Rails developer at ThoughtBot. I've been here for about five years. ThoughtBot's a consultancy. We do most of our stuff in Rails, but we dabble in Elixir and uh, Scala and a few other languages. One of those languages that I've been working on is Crystal, which and I've built the framework Lucky that Andrew was talking about. Nice. Well, we're lucky to have you. That was awful. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so do you want to kind of give people the elevator pitch for both Crystal and Lucky? Yeah. We've, we've talked about Crystal in the past, but we haven't done it for a while. And I want to give people some context there. Yeah, definitely. So we'll start with Crystal, which is the language... It's very similar looking to Ruby. It's fairly approachable if you already know Ruby, syntactically at least. It's a lot faster. It is a compiled language. And the other major difference is that it is type-checked. So it does catch a fair amount of issues at compile time. So obviously, if there are undefined constants or methods that are misnamed or missing, it will catch those. It will also catch if you pass the wrong type. But probably one of the other special things is that nil is a first-class type. So in order to have a nil value, you have to say the type is a string or nil, or an integer or nil. So if you try to call, for example, down case on something that is a string or nil, the compiler will tell you that nil does not have that method, down case. You have to first check to make sure that whatever you're calling on is a string, and then you can call down case on it. So it catches a lot of those nil bugs that uh -huh. people run into in Ruby, which I'm sure many people have run into. I know I have. That's probably one of the number one bugs I hit. Uh, so that's pretty nice. In terms of Lucky, the elevator pitch there is it uses the type system in Crystal to catch as many bugs as possible at compile time. I think a lot of reasons 
people don't feel that compilers catch that many bugs is because uh, you do need to leverage the type system so that you can catch them. Just like with tests, you can have tests that don't really catch a lot of bugs and you can have really good tests. I think the same goes for compilers. Uh, If you use them well, uh, you can catch a lot of things you would normally miss by yourself. Yeah, we see this a bit in some of the JavaScript compiled languages as well, like TypeScript. The build process catches a lot of stuff and the TypeScript, what is it? Language service, I think is what they call it, also catches a lot of stuff. And so, yeah, that sort of compile, transpile, you know, hey, we're running part of your code. Yeah, all that checking is real nice to have as a stage to run through. Of course, the flip side is, is that, you know, sometimes it's it's nice to just be able to code and not worry about some of that stuff or go through the extra stage of compiling, which is what yeah. you get with Ruby. Yeah, definitely. I, it's definitely changed my approach to how I go about coding things. I don't do the whole like refresh and check the page as much. I don't run tests quite as often. Mm-hmm. Instead, I kind of use the compiler as my initial test suite to kind of once that that's my first level of defense and then run the tests once that passes. But it is definitely trickier. You have to approach things differently. Like I find myself rather than just straight up refactoring what's there, I'll sometimes introduce a brand new object or a brand new method and then write tests for that and then delete the old one rather than refactoring in place because it's just a pain to have to catch everything at compile time. Yep. How much does that slow you down? Like if you were to pit that against Ruby and in just terms of developer speed, in terms of producing something of value, or how, much, how much slower are you? At this point, I'd say I'm a lot faster in Crystal than I am in Ruby because it does catch a lot of the things that I would maybe spend time on writing tests for. Uh, and it points to exactly where the problem is a lot of times. So in Ruby, when I'm testing, sometimes I'll get a nil as the result. And I don't know why. I don't know where in this pipeline of code that nil is coming from. Whereas in Crystal, it'll just say, here's the exact method. Here's the argument. That's the problem. It also just, that's how I, I work. Like it just fits my mental model. I do know, like I'm working with some people here at ThoughtBot where it is a little slower. On the flip side, it has caught some bugs in our internal projects. So it's kind of a trade-off. Like it may be a little slower at first, but then you have less bugs. So maybe it evens out. It's hard to say though, because it's still pretty early on. Yeah, no, I totally get that. In terms of, you have to think about where you're going to save the time. Mm-hmm. And it's it's in a different spot, right? You may be a little slower getting the code written, but you're going to spend a lot less time debugging. Yeah, so someone actually gave an analogy. They wrote a blog post after they had a service in, in Rails moved it over to Lucky. And the way they described it was the Rails service was kind of like just bolting a shelf on the wall and just hoping you hit a stud. And maybe it is, maybe it isn't. And it's just not solid. And using Lucky, they like actually found the studs in the wall, put it in there, bolted it in. And it took a little bit longer. But once it was in, you knew it wasn't going to just fall off. So I like that analogy. And I think that it can be true. I mean, you can also do bad things with compilers, (laughs) where if you write it in a certain way, it doesn't really catch anything, but it kind of depends on how you like to use it. Where does Lucky fall into the scope of ThoughtBot? And first off, they're actually letting you work on that like during work hours, right? Lucky? Yeah, that's correct. So at ThoughtBot, we have every Friday is an investment day. So we do 
regular client work Monday to Thursday. Friday, we can do pretty much whatever we want. So Lucky is my whatever I want thing. So they're sponsoring it in a way just because I am technically getting paid to work on it. We haven't used it on any client projects, but we have built some internal tools. Uh, It is being used in production by a company. They don't want to say exactly who they are yet, Uh, but they are using it and they've been enjoying it. Luckily, they have a lot of little services, so it's been easy for them to just move bit by bit over. But so far, it's been going pretty well for them. Have you found that you've had to battle the the language with the framework? Because I take it you're approaching the framework from very much a Rails point of view. Have you had to battle some of the things that maybe Ruby provides that the Crystal doesn't provide? And with that, have you been able to contribute back to the core language? Yeah, I think that's definitely the case. Even though Crystal does look a lot like Ruby at a high level, if you really want to use it well, you kind of do have to approach things differently. I would say in the areas where I did fight with Crystal, the code turned out better just because you're doing it in the Crystal way. For example, when I first started writing Lucky, I did come at it from a very Rails-centric approach. So I wanted to have controllers that were a single class with multiple methods, just like you would in Rails, new, create, update, all that jazz. The problem with that is that I also wanted to have type-safe parameters. So in other words, if you called params ID in the index, that should blow up at compile time. You can't do that in Crystal if you have a class with multiple methods because it doesn't know when it should have a parameter for which method. It just knows, hey, I'm a class, you instantiate me. It doesn't know if you call index that is not supposed to have the ID parameter. So what I ended up having to do was do one class per action. So now instead of having like a user's controller with an index and a show, there's a user's show class and the user's index class. And we can create methods in the show class for the ID parameter. And in the index, we don't have that method. So now at compile time, we can check those. And I think the code actually ends up a little cleaner too, because I've been on plenty of projects where there's a bunch of methods that only apply to certain actions in the controller. So you might have like your create params for creating a user. That's only for create. You might have different ones for update. You might have different parameters for index. And they're all kind of mixed together in that one class. So in the end, I actually liked how Crystal helped me move in a direction that I think was more maintainable. I heard you talk about Crystal before, and one of the interesting things that came out of in that conversation, I think it was the, I can't remember what podcast you were on, that you talked about it, but you talked about the templating of uh, HTML templates, essentially on your view renders, that you don't use HTML templates, that the templating is actually in Crystal itself, which is something I'm really curious to hear about and to be sold on because I've gone down the path of you know, using Hamel and Slim and everything like that. And then I've come back now and just pretty much religiously stick to ERB. So I want to hear the pitch for this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. So that of all the things that are like the most weird, the most different, that would be the number one thing. So just to back up and kind of explain what Lucky does, as you mentioned, normally you have some kind of templating language, whether that's Slam or Hamel or whatever, or ERB. In Lucky, we use crystal methods and classes. So you would have something like a user's new page class 
that would implement a content method and that would render out all your HTML. So you would have something like an H1 or you would have a div with a do block. Um, and then inside that, you would have like your paragraph block or whatever else. So the reason for that was partly because uh, it's easier to implement uh, security. It, we can uh, do XX, X cross-site scripting. <laughs> we, can, <laughs> we can escape HTML basically a lot easier that way. Because by default in Crystal, if you have ECR, whatever you output, it's just going to output that. In Rails, I think it has... I think it has its own version of ERB or it like implements its own engine or something like that. And that's how it does the escaping. I kind of didn't really want to do that. <laughs> I didn't have that much time. I mean, it was actually easier to just do it myself by generating these methods that would then escape the text. So that was the first step was just saying, hey, this is easier for me to implement right now. But in the end, the thing that really came out of it that's nice is you can extract private methods. So if you had like a large header that had a button and a bunch of other stuff, you can extract a private method in that class that just says render header. There's nothing special going on there. You just extract it like a regular method and it works. So that also means layouts where you in Rails, you would normally have like a separate layout file with your view being rendered inside of that. And lucky that's just a class. So your user's show page would inherit from your main layout or your guest layout or whatever else. And in that layout, you're once again just calling methods. So everything, basically the whole view rendering code is like 100 lines in Lucky. It's super easy to implement. And it's really easy to organize your code with helper methods, basically, by just extracting private methods, where normally you would, you could extract a partial, but partials are kind of heavy. You have to actually open up your editor, extract a new file, then render it. Whereas now you can just move a private method. The other reason that I really like it is that you declare at the top of the page what the page needs. So if you open up just any random ERB file or Slim or anything else, you don't know what that needs to render. You either need to just render it and see what blows up or kind of read through the whole thing and see like, okay, here's an instance variable. Here's a local variable. I guess I need that. Whereas in Lucky, it just says, hey, I need a list of users. I need current user or whatever else. And if you don't pass that in, it will blow up at compile time. So I imagine, I mean, Rails partials are kind of notoriously slow, right? They're, mm -hmm. they're expensive to, they to render, which is why caching is such a big part of, of any Rails application that needs to be performant. So I, I would imagine that this approach with Lucky, uh, you get a significant performance boost. You're not reaching out to another file that then you have to pull in and then run through some type of interpolation, right? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's extremely fast. Though that is also the case, even when you do ECR templates, which are just like ERB templates, but with Crystal, those are actually pre-compiled though. So either way, you're getting extremely fast performance. How approachable is this style to designers as yeah. you spread some of the responsibilities across teams? That is a good question. And that was my main concern when doing this because I had used Elm and that is a significant departure from regular HTML. And even Haml and things like that can be a little trickier. So with Lucky, I tried to make it as close to what your regular HTML structure would look like as possible. So in other words... You're not like having an array of elements. You don't have, you don't open up an array and then have like a div and then comma, something else. 
you just do div, do, whatever. And then you can have a new line and another div. The properties lists look very similar. The nesting looks similar. So the hope there is that it's fairly easy for designers to come on board. I haven't totally tested it, but that was a goal that it should look as similar as possible to uh, what regular HTML looks like, at least with the structure. We're also working on an HTML to Lucky converter. So in those cases where you go to CSS tricks or whatever, and you just have a bunch of HTML you want to copy over, it just copies it. And you don't have to worry about manually doing that yourself. Uh, kind of going along with that, I spun up a Lucky app the other day, and I was kind of interested to see how you were going to handle assets and was kind of looking for some sort of asset pipeline. And it looks like you're using Laravel Mix. So I was kind of wondering what your reasoning behind that was and kind of the benefits that you get from that. Yeah, that's a great question. I played around with a bunch of stuff because uh, it's JavaScript and there's a bunch of everything. Eventually, I landed on Laravel Mix, which is, well, to back up, Laravel is a PHP framework. It's really nice, actually. It has kind of some Rails vibes, but it's got a lot of really nice libraries like Laravel Mix. What Laravel Mix does is it's a thin wrapper on top of Webpack that just makes it a lot easier to do your common things. So for example, React support. If you want React support in your webpack.mix.js file, you would just say mix.react, give it your entry point, and it just works. It figures out all the stuff you need for React and, and handles it. Or SAS, you can just say .sass, give it the input, output, and it will just figure it all out for you. That was huge because setting up Webpack can be a bit of a pain. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, sometimes that takes... <laughs> a little bit. Uh, and there's so many different ways to do stuff. And with Mix, it's kind of like, hey, if you want to use React, here you go. Just on, uncomment this line, basically, and it works. Some people want unopinionated stuff, and they can just do whatever. That's also fine because since it's a wrapper on top of Webpack... You can still hook into it and do whatever Webpack goodness you want to do. So that's basically why it was done. It's really easy if you just want to get things ready. If you want to do some fancy stuff, you can. Yeah, Webpack is very opinionated almost in how it wants you to do things. And it, I can agree, it is a pain to set up. And it almost, at least in my experience, it's, it's really hard to get it working exactly the way you want it to do with all the things you want it to do. Yeah, it made it much easier. There's also the approach of like in Rails 5, they have Webpacker. The way they seem to handle it is that they actually generate a bunch of JavaScript files. So if you want React or whatever, it will generate the configuration that you need. I don't totally like that because it makes it hard to upgrade. So for example, if someone later on decides, you know what, React should actually have whatever option and everybody wants it, you would have to regenerate your configuration files or go into the generated files and add that yourself. With Laravel Mix, since you're calling a function, you upgrade Laravel Mix, you get whatever new goodies you need. That's awesome. Also, I don't have to maintain it, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I yeah, saw I somebody had extracted a, a Webpacker CLI that allows you to take the Rails implementation of Webpacker and put it into other projects or other frameworks like Lucky. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I didn't know about yeah. that. I have not looked into it, but I, I saw somebody mention it on Twitter. All I know is I don't want to maintain it. That's for sure. Leave the JavaScript to the other guys. <laughs> uh, 
So I, uh, living in Utah, we actually have kind of been in the forefront of crystal, the crystal community. There's several people who are part of the crystal community that live here. And uh, I, I was wondering, one of the frameworks that I guess, I don't know if you're competing with or you're similar to, which is Amber, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So can you explain the differences of Lucky and Amber and perhaps why there should be more than one web framework for crystal? Yeah, that's a great question. So when I first looked at Crystal, I did look at at Amber. The thing is, with Amber, they are really approaching making it easy for existing Ruby on Rails developers to switch to Crystal. The problem with that approach is that sometimes that leads to making code that doesn't work as well with Crystal. So it doesn't catch as many bugs, for example. Going back to my example with the controllers, Amber has a very similar a controller layer where you have a controller with multiple actions in it, uh, you lose a lot of type safety because of that um, in your parameters. One of my main goals was to catch all these things at compile time. And that just doesn't fit in with the goal of making it really easy for Rails developers to just hop in. You kind of have to make some changes. But on top of that, I also wanted to make some changes. I love Rails. I think it's great. But I also think there's opportunity for improvement. And so those two ideologies just didn't really mix. So I made Lucky. We're still in contact and we've even shared some code. But I'd say that's the big difference. If you really just want Rails in Crystal, Amber's for sure the way to go. It's the most similar. It's got a few improvements here and there that they kind of borrowed from Phoenix. Um, And you still do get some type safety from Crystal. If you use Lucky, you are going to have to learn a few new things. But I think in the end, you're also going to get a lot better type safety. And I think some of those decisions might also make for more maintainable code. For example, we've got the action layer, which are individual classes. But that's just a small part of that. The other piece of that is that when you link to different actions, for example, in an HTML page, If you want to link to, say, the delete action, so you want to delete a user, you would say link to users delete, which is like the actual class name, users delete, and then dot with the user ID. At compile time, it will blow up if you pass the wrong number of arguments or if that action doesn't exist. It will also automatically get the correct HTTP method So you don't say method delete with that. You just say link to users delete. It'll pull out the method for you. And so there's almost no way to screw that up. Like, I don't know how many times I've accidentally used method put when it should have been a post or vice versa. I forget the delete and wonder why stuff doesn't work. And that's just a bug that won't happen in Lucky. So that's an example of one of those things that you just don't need to worry about anymore. And I like that as a new developer, you don't even really need to know REST that well. You just need to know, okay, here's a delete action, and then I want to link to it, and it works. I like that idea that people can kind of just get going faster and learn REST as they go, rather than that being like, you have to know this before you even make an action. So it sounds and kind of feels like that Lucky is inspired by Elm and kind of the the ideology behind Elm. Is that the case? Yeah, I'd say so. There's a lot of people at ThoughtBot doing Elm and Scala and... To some extent, people were dabbling in Haskell. Haskell is just too complex, though. You can, it was hard to actually build something. Um, but the general idea of, yes, catching as many things at compile time as you can, but that's also what inspired 
the lucky approach of like designing it so that the compiler can catch a lot. One of the things we talk about a lot with Elm is the idea of like stringly typed where everything's kind of just a string. So like a route is a string, a path is a string, everything's a string, but then the compiler can't really catch that. You could just have an empty string and it'd be like, okay, cool. But at runtime it would fail because it's not what you actually expect. So with lucky, everything at least tries to be typed. So like I said, for example, when you're linking, you can give it a string, but it prefers getting an action class. And that way it can check all kinds of things. It can check the arguments. It can make sure there's a route for you. But yeah, definitely inspired by Elm. So I know Elm and Crystal both are lean kind of heavily on type inference. How, how much do the types feel like they're kind of getting in your way of just kind of getting a thought out on into the code? How explicit is it? Because I'm an old Java C-sharp guy. And, and so when, I, when, I, yeah, when, so when I came back... <laughs> When I came over to Ruby, it was such a breath of fresh air because I, I felt so productive. And I'm a, I'm a bit reluctant to, to go back to those days, but I think Elm probably better, more than any other strongly statically typed check language out there gets the type inference right, even though culturally they kind of still decorate everything with their types in the code, which I'm a little sad about. But I just want the type system to work, catch all these bugs, and still stay out of my way. Does Crystal do a good job at that? For me, I think it strikes kind of a happy medium. It doesn't infer everything, but it infers enough to where I feel good about it. It doesn't infer instance variables, but just about everything else it can infer. So you don't need to have a return type, for example. It will infer that when you pass in arguments to a private method or any other method basically that's not new or initialized, it can infer that. I like the instance variable restriction because oftentimes I'll open up a class and see it needs at user or whatever. And it's like, okay, is this a user ID? Is this the actual user? I see all the time where like you think it's an instance of a user, but it's actually an ID. So having that actually helps me a ton. And it's just enough to where it helps me, but doesn't get in my way because it infers the rest. That's kind of how I work. I like it, but I have heard that some people don't. So I think to some degree, that's just going to be a subjective thing. Yeah, I, I learned Java very early on in my computer science career. And I guess when I looked at Crystal, I was looking for, you know, int i equals blah, or like, you know, just declaring all that. And when I didn't see that, I was kind of confused until I kind of read up on the how they were inferring and you don't have to actually put most type annotations. And I think that that's really cool that you can do that because Java kind of scarred me from having from all that. It's just so verbose in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Like it, it does infer quite a bit. Not everything, but it's not Java. <laughs> that should be your slogan. <laughs> Lucky. Crystal, it's not Java. do you run your own freelance business or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side well then you need fresh books fresh books is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients it's easy to use it works anywhere available from any device uh, on the desktop iphone ipad android and all of your data is backed up and secure and it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, 
and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. So I'd like to know, a lot of people leave the Rails community whether it be the right reason or not, not the right reason, but they, a lot of people are moving to the Phoenix slash Elixir the community because mm-hmm. of the need promises, the concurrency promises, that kind of thing. And I was wondering, how does do you see Rubius moving away from Rails to possibly Lucky and Crystal because of maybe the promises there? And how does how does Lucky compare to like, for example, uh, Phoenix? Yeah, that's a great question. I was really excited about Elixir and Phoenix. I think we were some of the early adopters. We built an app when Phoenix was like 0.8 or something like that. I also wrote Bamboo and Ex Machina. So one of those is an email library. The other one is a a testing library. So I I just say that to say that, you know, I have used Elixir uh, and Phoenix. I definitely like it. For me, one of the main things that I liked was just the speed. I know in Ruby, sometimes we have like to act like Ruby's fast enough. And sure it is, but uh, sometimes it can be a little bit of a pain. Sometimes you need to spend a little more, bit more time than you'd like to. I like that with Phoenix, it was just not an issue. I just really didn't have to think about it nearly as much. Part of that is because Ecto there, which is their SQL library, kind of enforces that you preload associations. So it's harder to get M plus one queries which is pretty easy to do in Rails um, without realizing it until too late. So I like that. I think for a lot of people, that's big. And then just the functional, the newness of it, I think is big too. With Crystal, you don't have the same concurrency uh, benefits as Elixir. It's there, but I'd say it's not quite at the same level as Elixir because Elixir is built on Erlang. So they have years of tooling and experience building that out. Where Crystal shines over Elixir, though, is in the type safety. Even though Elixir is compiled, uh, you don't really have types. You do you have type specs that you can use with Dialyzer, which is kind of this static analysis tool. What I've found and what pretty much everyone in my team has found is that the output is just overwhelming. It's not particularly helpful. Uh, it's extremely hard to figure out what it's actually complaining about, and so we don't use it. So if you don't use it, it's basically not there, in my opinion. So where Lucky kind of hopes to step in is catching those bugs for you that even Phoenix didn't catch, Phoenix and Elixir. I think the main drawback of Crystal is probably that it looks so much like Ruby. It's like a blessing and a curse. (laughs) It's a blessing in the sense that, yes, you can kind of approach it very easily. It's still object-oriented. It's a curse and that why would I learn this? It looks just like Ruby. And honestly, that's how I was when I first saw it and heard about it. I'm like, great. So it's a fast Ruby. I don't care. Like, that's nice. But if I'm going to learn something new, I want to learn something new. Once I actually spent time with it, I think there is plenty to learn, especially because when you have that type system, if you embrace Crystal, it does kind of force you to write things in a different way. But I do think that that is something that's, that could be problematic that people just go, if I learn something new, I want it to be new. So yeah, 
lucky, I'd say the big thing is it catches a lot of bugs and it's extremely fast, but that's because of Crystal. Not really anything Lucky did. That is so fascinating to, to hear that. And I wonder if that happened with Groovy as well, Groovy and Grails, in that because it was so closely named and tied to Ruby that maybe it didn't get like the the people who wanted to learn something new as much or maybe it was because it's java based who knows <laughs> yeah <laughs> or far as I hear, like, java's really uh, their type <laughs> stuff sucks according to andrew <laughs> so <laughs> anyway <laughs> no, i'm just kidding so thoughtbot i've been doing ruby for i think like i think all of us have been doing ruby for 10 years plus now and mm-hmm. I thought bot has always been at the forefront of Ruby, the forefront of Rails, the forefront. Like you guys have been the thought leaders of, of open source contributions and building tools that we all end up depending on. I'm curious to hear the direction of Thoughtbot now, if you can speak to it as far as how much how much mindshare is going into new Ruby development versus into possibly Elixir or or other other languages? Like, does ThoughtBot look at Ruby as almost like a legacy system that now you're just more in maintenance mode? That's a great question. I would say, well, first off, it's hard to tell because there are a few offices. Um, and I think each office kind of has their own thing that they really want to do and like. I would say that Ruby is still our main thing, kind of the bread and butter. Ruby's also probably the most mature language that we use, especially when it comes to web development. And so there's less opportunity for new libraries because there's just already so many. So it kind of makes it feel as if we're not doing as much in the open source community. And I think part of that is because a lot of it's already there, even though we still use it and love it. So from the outside, I think it kind of looks like we're not doing it as much. But in reality, the majority of our projects are still Ruby. We're definitely excited about Elixir. We have a few Elixir projects. People are trying to get into data science with Scala and and some Python. But yeah, once again, still mostly Ruby. I think we are looking for what may come next. And we don't know necessarily what that is. But yeah, Ruby's still the bread and butter. And I think a lot of us have tried new things, being really excited about it, and then thought, you know, actually Rails is pretty nice. <laughs> and I think I was one of those. I, you know, I was all in with uh, Phoenix. And I really like Phoenix. I don't, I'm not trying to talk bad about it at all. But when I went back to a Rails project, I was like, actually, it's pretty cool. I like Ruby. I like object-oriented programming. And really, the only thing I missed was the speed. It did suck how, how slow stuff rendered sometimes, especially in development. We actually went through the same thing. Code Fund was, we're on the, I think, the fourth iteration rewrite. <laughs> so, original version code sponsor is written in Ruby. And then I wrote, we, we switched it over to Code Fund. I wrote it initially in Python to mesh with our team. And I thought, well, why in the world am I doing this in Python? So I wrote it in Elixir and then brought on uh, a team member and we built it up. And then it just became so complex. The simplicity that Ruby and Rails brings was just gone. And so now we're moving everything back over to Ruby. And it's so far, it's been a, a fantastic decision. And yeah, you know, I do follow that DHH mentality of fast enough is, is good enough. However, there are certain things that, you know, that's the beauty of these microservices where you can pull out things that have to be super fast and have to be, you know, scalable to the nth degree. You can pull those out and do them in anything else. 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I uh, thank you for sharing that. I, I was very curious about Thoughtbot's view. Hopefully, hopefully that it continues that way where they keep on putting more and more effort into Ruby. But I also wanted to give a shout out to them and say thank you, Thoughtbot, for providing the ability for your developers to work on open source and paying for that. That's so huge. I wish more companies did that. Yeah, I love it. I really like that too. I think if you don't have that, it's almost impossible to sustain open source. Like I don't, I think it'd be extremely hard to do most of this just on the side, especially if you have, start having a family or whatever else. It's just like, it doesn't work. So, yeah. yeah. One thing that I, I wonder a little bit about that, and maybe you can speak to this, even though it's a little bit of a tangent, is that you're talking about the sustainability of open source, but there are also benefits to the company as well, right? You allow people to build expertise. You allow them to connect with people out there in the community. It's easier to attract developers if they feel like they can have an opportunity to give to the community. I mean, there are a lot of kind of intangible benefits to doing that. The other thing is, as you mentioned, that it's it happens on Fridays, right? So every Friday, you you have the opportunity to go and do, you know, something out there, and I mean, so you can go level up on stuff that again may come back into the adoption curve on the company. So there are all these benefits that come out of it. I know that not every company can afford to do that, especially if you're new and hungry and trying to just hustle. But I mean, once you get somewhat established like ThoughtBot is, it makes a ton of sense because then the things that you really care about as far as the marketing and messaging and things like that and, and the ability to attract talent uh, become much more critical because you're you're operating at a different level. Yeah, I think that's spot on. I mean, it's definitely it's definitely not total charity where Thoughtbot gets absolutely nothing. Uh, I mean, that's one of the huge reasons I joined Thoughtbot was to work on open source and to learn how to do it and learn all these different things. So it is a huge help for hiring new people, uh, and I think that's part of why they're okay with me working on Lucky, even though we don't use it on client projects. A lot of people will see that when they apply and go, that's pretty cool that a company lets someone do that. And so it definitely helps bring in new developers. It's also a great marketing tool because if developers know about ThoughtBot, when they say, hey, we need some help with X, Y, whatever, staff augmentation, ThoughtBot's kind of at the top of their mind. But yeah, definitely with recruiting, that's how I knew about ThoughtBot because, you know, what, 10, 11, 12 years ago or whatever, they had paperclip and they were releasing gems all the time. And so you just knew like, oh, that's ThoughtBot. They do Rails and they do open source. So it's definitely helpful. But I would say like if there's other companies out there that are struggling to hire, because I think that is the case, or if they are struggling to pay what some of these other big companies are paying, which are sometimes these insane salaries... Uh, one of the ways to compete might be to say, hey, we have like a day of open source, 20% time or whatever else. That might be a way to compete with some of these bigger companies. Yeah, well, that's the thing. And I've, I've been talking more and more about developer freedom like in uh, on the DevRev podcast, which I started last week. I've been posting it to Facebook and YouTube. I haven't gotten it out on the feed yet. But yeah, it's that idea, right? Everybody wants something a little bit different. And so some people want to get in and they really want the challenge of you know, creating a thing from scratch that's going to make a difference. And other people, they really want that open source time. And if you can give it to them, they'll come work for you. And you can attract some really top folks that way. Uh, We also talked to uh, on Elixir. Chris. Chris, yeah. You know, he, he works for a company. And they, you know, they mostly pay him to work on Phoenix. 
But again, you know, it, it, it lends them that credibility, like you said. You know, we, we, we've got this guy and he'll come, you know, save our bacon if we have to have him save our bacon. See, that's what Paul's gunning for with, with Lucky here. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I mean, that would be awesome. That would be cool. <laughs> what's, what's your long-term play with Lucky? What's your goal? Yeah, so I'll, my high sky would basically be, I would love to get it to the point where a company like ThoughtBot could start a new project and default to Lucky. Where it's like, there's enough libraries there, there are enough guides and ways to do things that we can start a project. We wouldn't just be rewriting every gem and doing a whole bunch of stuff from scratch. And we can just build it and be confident that we can deploy it and it would be a successful project. To get there, that's you know a, quite a bit of work, but we're already on the way. We've got a decent ORM, a decent test, browser testing library, um, there's a mail library, does all your actions, routing, webpack, so you can do your server single-page apps. But what it needs are a lot more guides, a lot more how-to, stack overflow, and really just mindshare, like people getting excited about it. I think that's really the hard part because it just takes a lot of time. Promotion takes a ton of time um, to write blog posts and tweets and things like that just getting companies to invest in it. Luckily, there already is a company running it in production. Hopefully, there will be more in the future. But I think that's the biggest thing um, lacking is companies using it um, and more people getting excited about it. And that's just a tricky problem to solve. Why do you think that not enough companies are using it? Now, I know Crystal is not 1.0 yet. Do you think that's really the main factor or do you think there's more just kind of the newness of it? Yeah, that's a good question. I think Part of it's because it's not 1.0, and that means that the API does break with almost every release. They you know, rename a method or change something. Um, I think that's good while they're in this phase to kind of tweak stuff, but that does turn companies off because that means when there's a new release, they've got to update their app. I think another part of it too is that you've just got stuff like Elixir and Phoenix. If someone's going to learn something new, I think part of it is that they want to know that that effort is going to pay off. Uh, I mean, some people learn just for fun, but some go, hey, if I learn this, I kind of <laughs> hopefully want to have some kind of payoff in the end. And right now it's not clear if Crystal will, will do that. Whereas with Elixir and Phoenix, there are jobs that you can get by learning Elixir and Phoenix. So I think that's huge. Well, one other thing that helps adoption is this is part of what really kind of got Rails off the ground was Twitter used Rails to build their initial version. And if you can get something out there that shows people, hey, look, this blah, 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 serious site that mm -hmm. does important stuff or handles a ton of traffic is using Crystal. Uh, you know, we're, we're seeing a lot of these examples now with Phoenix. It's, you know, it's really starting to hit its stride there where more people are using it and they're getting that performance gain out of it that they wanted. And so I, I, think, I think what you're waiting on to some degree is just some social proof. Yeah, I definitely think so. And it's kind of hard. There's that chicken and egg <laughs> problem of like, is the next Twitter going to even know about Lucky if there's not social proof? But you I, never know. Exactly. You, know, you, I, can't, I <laughs> you, you can't count on a yes or a no. But yeah, it just takes one enthusiast. I mean, that, that's, that's what Jack Dorsey was when he started you know, working on it. It took one enthusiast and then it, it worked out. 
So I mean, I know for me, when I first started with Rails, just having Basecamp too. I mean, mm-hmm. you sign up, you use it, and it was so far ahead of what other people were doing. It had all the nice Ajax effects and all these different things that you weren't seeing elsewhere. And you're like, whoa, that was built with Rails. This is cool. And then you see the 15-minute blog and... I remember the one that really inspired me was a demo of Flickr search where they basically included some kind of uh, Flickr gem and uh, set up a search field with some of their um, Ajax helpers, which were removed long ago, where you could basically just submit it. It would do a remote request and then insert HTML into the page and do like a nice slide down effect all without writing any JavaScript. And it was done in like five or 10 minutes. And it was just so cool. I think that is definitely something missing with Lucky right now is that the cool factor of like, what can you build? What's the cool thing that Lucky has? Mm -hmm. And right now there's still a lot of that hard to measure stuff. Like it will catch these bugs. It's like, that's, that's cool, but that doesn't really, I don't know. It doesn't really entice people. So I kind of need to figure out what is that thing that when people see it, they'll be like, that's awesome. And then learn about the bugs and the speed and everything else later on. Yep. If there is like the the canonical lucky app, like is there something out there that you point people at and say, hey, this is this is an app somebody built with Lucky that I'm really proud of and this is a place for you to go look? Not yet. So we have an internal tool, but that's not something that we can show people, unfortunately. I built a very small site called uh, crystalmastery.io. That's kind of like Railscasts, but just with like five episodes or something right now. Uh, and that is open source, so you can look at it. But I do want to create something that I can open source and say, hey, here's like a good example of what a Lucky app can do. There's other people doing stuff for clients, but it's all closed source. So it's hard to point them to something. Yeah, when I was looking into Lucky, you know, you guys have really good docs, I will say. Like your docs are very well explained. I'm a very visual learner and when I learned Rails, I strictly learned it based on online tutorials and blog posts and things like that mm-hmm. because I didn't learn Rails in school. And every technology technically that I use right now at work, I did not learn in school. And I graduated with a computer science degree. So I was wondering, like, what do you think are ways to kind of encourage people to kind of create these videos and create these tutorials and create these blog posts? And how also kind of going along with that, how is the community building around Lucky? Because I saw you guys had a Gitter that was pretty, you know, there were a good amount of people talking in it. So I don't know, what have you done to kind of build up that audience and that following and get people excited about Lucky? Yeah, I think, well, one huge advantage that Lucky has is that since I'm building this at ThoughtBot, I have the ThoughtBot platform to kind of market that. So that gave a huge boost right off the bat. But now... That uh, platform's kind of dried up. Like the people that read the blog, they know about it. So now it's like everybody else. In terms of getting people excited, I really think it needs that killer app or just some app, some example where someone can go, that's cool. It's fast. I look at the code. It makes sense. I think the videos, like you said, are huge. For me, Rails casts, that was, I mean, that's half of how I learned Rails. Mm-hmm. It's just Rails casts. And I loved that. Railscast was built on real examples of things you want to do. I definitely think Lucky needs something like that, but it does take a lot of time. So trying to get people, I guess, excited enough about it, but also finding time to do it, 
is tricky. The other tricky part is Lucky is also not 1.0, and so it's changing fairly often. So it's hard to invest a lot of time making a video that will be out of date in three months. Uh, so I'd say one of the huge things is getting Lucky to a 1.0 state so that people can write blogs and do videos and not have it out of date three months later. The hard part with that is that Lucky really can't be 1.0 until Crystal is 1.0 because things just break too often in Crystal for me to say, hey, yes, this is a stable 1.0, kind of. That doesn't really work. But also, I mean, I'd be open to hearing other input. One of the things I think is nice about Lucky is the community. I think we try to keep things really friendly and nice and encourage anyone to ask questions and just respond in a really kind way. I think when you're first getting started with something, it's kind of scary, especially if you're first getting started helping in an open source project, it's scary. So we try to help as much as we can and make it as less intimidating to help out. And so far, we've got a lot of like new people that haven't really done open source before. And I think part of that is that we try to be very open and and kind and and not (laughs) just encouraging of people doing things. So is the slogan of Lucky going to be, Paul is nice, so we are nice? (laughs) (laughs) Well, hopefully everybody is nice. I mean, so far, everybody's been super kind. I think that's something really important. I mean, the, the whole reason that Lucky is named Lucky is when I was coming up with a name, I, A, I wanted it to just be short. I didn't want to type like a million letters all the time. I actually think that was kind of a problem with Phoenix. When you do like mix Phoenix, whatever, and I always mistyped Phoenix, like is the E before the O? I don't know. No one does. So now it's just PHX, <laughs> which I think is a great thing to do because that was a lot easier to remember. But anyway, it had to be short and simple. But more than that, I think that we in like the development community are incredibly lucky. Like great hours, usually, awesome benefits, awesome pay. And you usually get that and you don't even need a college degree. I mean, you can, but there's plenty that don't. I mean, what other industry has that? And there's a lot of people that aren't so lucky, both in this country, out of the country, across the world. And so I wanted something where like every time I looked at it, every time I typed lucky in some other command, they just kind of remembered that. I still need to write like a blog post, but uh, that's something really important to me. And what I'd like to do is start some kind of, make that even more a part of what Lucky is, like giving back basically to the community and just people in need, just remembering like how good you have it and that others aren't so lucky and you can give back through charity or volunteer time or whatever else. That's a powerful narrative. I mean, just you describing that has got me wanting to look into the framework and play with it more. So that's a message you need to push. Thanks. Yeah, I need to find time to actually write this up. <laughs> <laughs> and I saw you were on the Bike Shed podcast and you talked about how you actually are donating to Crystal each month. And I think that's just awesome. Kind of really, I mean, like you said in that podcast, you know, one of the biggest problems we have is open source maintainers getting burnt out. And I think, you know, donating to a language or a framework or, you know, a project that you use, you find helpful, you want to see succeed. I think that that is awesome. And I commend you for that. Thank you. 
Yeah, I, I think a lot of times like in open source sustainability, we talk a lot about what businesses need to do or what basically what someone else needs to do to make open source sustainable. But if we can, I think like if you have the means to give and I think a lot of developers do, I think we can be a part of that too, you know, supporting other developers. It'd be nice if companies did it, but maybe it'd be even easier for companies to do it if we did too. I don't know. That's totally just a guess. It may be just like me throwing money. I don't know. But if it helps Crystal, I'm happy. So we'll see how it works. Cool. Anything else we should jump on before we go to picks? I did have one other technical question, and it's not so much about Lucky, but it's more about Crystal. We talk about microservices and some of these performance bottlenecks that can be, you know, maybe pulled out and, and dealt with in kind of an isolated fashion. And one way to accomplish that is through C extensions in, in Ruby land, right? And I'm wondering if there's a good story with Crystal to build a Crystal extension for Ruby to basically address some of those performance bottlenecks that you may run into. Okay, so just to make sure I understand. So Ruby right now, you can do C extensions. You're asking if you could uh, do something similar but Ruby to Crystal? Yeah, I know like Rust has, I think it's Helix. So you can build native extensions, you know, very performant extensions for Ruby uh, with Rust. Does Crystal have a similar story? I don't think so. It may, but I don't think it's anywhere near as smooth as something like Helix. I would guess that you can do it, but I don't know how easy it would be. Yeah, that seems like a really natural fit for a language like Crystal. Yeah, I mean, it is so approachable for a Ruby developer compared to something like Rust <laughs> or C. Well, I'll cross my fingers that we'll see some movement on that front. I think that would really help, you know, pull some developers over to the language and then start exploring with, you know, frameworks and, and other technologies like Lucky. Yeah, I think that could be pretty cool. I think, um, I guess one last thing, I would say, check out the Lucky guides. They're fairly thorough. If you have any questions, there's a Gitter room up in the top. There's a chat link and we're always happy to help. Even if you're just kind of dabbling around in there, it's always good to say hi and get her or whatever, and we can help out with whatever questions you have. Nice. Yeah, I got to say, this has been one of my favorite podcasts we've done on this show. Uh, you both, Andrew and Paul, you've been amazing guests. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, thanks. All right, let's do some picks. Is your job search stuck? Maybe you're not getting any interviews with employers, or maybe you are, but no job offers. Or you may be new and not even know where to start. This is Charles Maxwood, and I'm releasing a new course and ebook on how to find a job as a software developer. The course walks you through the process of finding the types of companies you want to work for, getting their attention, and putting your best foot forward as the candidate they want. I've coached dozens of developers in looking for jobs and have been able to help several people find jobs within two weeks to two months. So whether you're new to development, can't find a great job that fits what you want, or are looking for remote work from an area without a strong tech community, I can help. Go to getacoderjob.com and sign up today. Nate, do you want to start us off with picks? Sure. Let's see. Pull up my notes here. So uh, last weekend, I'm, I'm running a, an iMac a mid-2015 model for my personal workstation here at home. And it uses one of their Fusion drives, which is uh, basically a spinning disk uh, hard drive. And it's been painfully slow. So much so compared to my, my laptop that I cart around with me. And so I finally broke down and bought an external SSD drive, which I can link the particular drive I bought. It was a Samsung one terabyte SSD drive. And then I used Carbon Copy Cloner to copy my OS 
uh, basically a bootable snapshot of what was on the other hard drive onto this SSD. It's just plugged up through the USB uh, connection on the back, and I have a new machine now. It's, it's perceptibly, it, it feels about 10 times faster. So I could not be happier. Really great $200 uh, invested in some speed. Awesome. Eric, what are your picks? I just have one. It's a tool that I use that it's a free utility put out by the guys, uh, at um, the people at iMazing. It's the iMazing H-E-I-C converter. I often take photos on my phone and then just airdrop them to my to my computer. But the problem when I do that with the new iPhone is that they come across an H-E-I-C format, which makes it so I can't like share it or do anything with it until it's converted to a JPEG. So they provided this tool that allows you to just basically drag and drop all of these uh, files right into this container and you just hit go and it converts them all over for you. So super handy tool. It's free. iMazing is also a great product. They provide uh, iPhone tools, but I've been pretty happy with this one. So that's my pick. Nice. I'm going to jump in here with a pick real quick. This is something that I don't remember was picked on this show or a different show, but uh, definitely something I've been playing with lately. It's Mastodon. And it's uh, it looks a little bit like Twitter, kind of. Or uh, what what was the Twitter client that had the columns on it for different lists and stuff? Anyway, it looks kind of like that. It's 100% web-based, as far as I can tell. Um, you can get mobile apps for it, but I haven't been able to find like a desktop app, which would be real nice. Um, but anyway, uh, I've been following uh, some tech folks on there. And uh, yeah, you can actually have it go um, find your Twitter followers or people you follow on Twitter on there. So anyway, that's been a ton of fun. If you're on Mastodon, let me know. Um, I joined the Mastodon.technology um, server because so, it's uh, distributed. And uh, anyway, so I'm CMaxW, just my regular Twitter handle at um, Mastodon.technology if you want to follow me there. And uh, yeah, um, send me a message, let me know, and I'll follow you back. Uh, Andrew, what are your picks? Uh, so I have two today. And like I said earlier, I'm a self-taught Rails developer. So I watched a lot of tutorials and ThoughtBot actually released Upcase for free recently, which is a massive resource of tutorials and it's just a lot of really great resources if you're looking to get into you know rails and vim and they've got some git stuff on there um so that's a great resource another thing i would say is i love the awesome lists i see on github so i did not find one for lucky and i went ahead and created one so you can find the awesome lucky list on my github and i would love to you know keep adding to that and help help you Paul grow your community. Awesome. Thanks. Yeah, I'll take a look. I guess uh, I can go ahead and give my pick. I, w- I was going to say go ahead <laughs> since I'm on. Okay, so Tailwind CSS. It's a functional uh CSS library. I, I well, I hesitate to say library because you really can't pick and choose which ones you want, but it's a lot like Tachyons or any of these other ones. The thing I really like about Tailwind uh, is the documentation. It's fantastic. Um, the problem I had with tachyons and some of these other ones was that it was just so hard to tell what I could do and what the different options were. With Tailwind, it's very clear how you use these different utility classes in CSS. 
and what all your options are. So I, I think it's great. I used to not even like functional CSS, but they did such a good job. I really love it. The other pick I have is actually from Phoenix, Phoenix Live HTML. I'll have to find a link to the YouTube video where Chris McCord, the creator of Phoenix, is showing it off. But basically, it is HTML over WebSockets, where you have a view, uh, the front end can communicate with the back end, it'll re-render the HTML on the back end, push it up, diff it on the client side, and then update the parts that have changed. Um, so the whole idea there is that rather than using React or Vue or whatever else, you keep all the rendering on the back end. Um, it seems pretty cool. I, I don't think it's actually released yet, but it seems like a very interesting thing to play with. Yeah, yeah we did an episode on that on Elixir Mix, so we'll get a link in the show notes for that as well. Okay, cool. Keep an eye peeled to see that land in Lucky. <laughs> I, I, I would love something like that. That'd be cool. That would be amazing. Yeah, you, you know someone? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, if people want to find you, either of you online, uh, where do they generally do that? Yeah, I've got Twitter, like a lot of people. <laughs> it's Paul C. Smith. And my GitHub, uh, if you want to see what I'm up to over there, also Paul C. Smith. It's very creative. Um, so that's where I'm at. And you can find me on Twitter and GitHub and CodePen and a couple of those other online code resources at Andrew M. Codes. Awesome. Well, thank you both for coming. This has been fun. It's, it's always interesting to talk about something that's a little bit different. And since the, I, the speed of innovation, I guess, for Ruby has slowed down since we started this show eight years ago, um, it's nice to really get something novel like this. This, this feels a little bit different from what we normally hit. So awesome. Thanks fun. so much for, for having us on. And actually one more thing, uh, you can follow lucky framework on Twitter. Oh, That's nice. where most of the updates are, are posted. Yeah. Thank, thank you guys for having me as well. All right, folks, we'll wrap this one up and we will be back next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.